0: want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But you're gonna need help if you want to make an impact. Well
1: what?
2: endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community. Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed. Hi everyone, welcome to the Well Endowed podcast brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation and a proud affiliate member of Alberta Podcast Network. We bring you community discourse about amazing organizations and people who come together to make Edmonton strong. Every month, we share stories from spaces where endowments and community intersect. I'm Elizabeth Bonking.
1: And I'm Andrew Paul. Let's jump right in. On this episode, we speak with Nicole Smith to talk about the Sage Senior Association and some of the challenges that senior women in Edmonton are facing. And Edmonton Community Foundation CEO Martin Garber-Conrad joins us to talk about giving during the holiday season and his approach to teaching one young person about philanthropy.
2: On December 1st, Edmonton Community Foundation published our most recent vital topic, Senior Women in Edmonton. There are some interesting facts to consider about senior women. For example, they live longer, and that alone means they are more likely to face challenges in health, poverty, isolation, and abuse.
0: Nicole Smith. So my name is Nicole Smith, and I am the Director of Research and Community Engagement with SAGE Seniors Association. And SAGE is a senior-serving organization that serves people across the city of Edmonton
2: joined us to explore the landscape in which women seniors in Edmonton live and some of the challenges they face. One of the challenges we'll discuss is ageism.
1: Ageism is the stereotyping, prejudice, and discrimination against people on the basis of their age. So as we head into this talk with Nicole, please take a moment to consider not only the seniors in your life, but also your future self. How might this landscape change as you age?
2: On December 1st, we're going to be releasing our vital topic on senior women here in Edmonton. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about why are senior women a unique cohort, especially here in Edmonton?
0: Wow, that's a great question. I think that one of the key aspects are about senior women, and I don't think it's specific to Edmonton, though. I think it's it's kind of more broad-based. We, we're seeing an increase in the population in terms of the population aging. We're seeing an increase in seniors in the population overall, and particularly um, in our oldest seniors. So as the population is aging, it's also getting older. And women tend to live longer than men, and they tend to be more at risk the more they age.
2: In fact, we quote a stat here from 2016 that's, um, I believe, from StatsCan, and it's out of 190 individuals over the age of 100 in 2016, 160 of them are female.
0: Right. That's a big group. It's, it's a big group and it's a diverse group. So I think one of the things that is difficult with stats like that, is that it helps people to see the picture and maybe to grab onto the edge of the picture, but it's only really part of it, right? So um, one of the problems, for example, with the word senior is that we have a very kind of stereotypical view of what a senior is. So when we talk about women who are over the age of 80 or over the age of 90 or over the age of 100, we're seeing a very particular image of a woman. She probably speaks English. She's probably white. She's probably little. Uh, She probably lives in a home somewhere. And those things are true of some women, but certainly not all women. That's actually leading
2: me into something that I wanted to ask you about, which is how have seniors changed in the last decade?
0: The population is growing increasingly diverse. The nuclear family structures have changed. So our our kinship networks have changed. Where people are born and where they live now or live near the end of their life has changed. The number of times they've moved has changed. Education levels have obviously changed. Specific to what we're seeing with senior women now is that uh, the women who are retiring now or turning 65 now are the ones who first entered the workforce. So even just the way their lives were lived out has changed. Specifically, the difference between men and women is that men still consistently, men who are are seniors or who are at age of retirement, they're more likely to have had full-time work throughout the course of their lives. Whereas a woman, her work would have been maybe part-time, more precarious, lower paid for sure. It probably was interrupted at certain points. So we have a whole generation of people who are retiring without a pension, without savings of any kind. They're growing older, and we know that age is inversely related to income. So the older people get, the more likely they are to be poor. The more likely somebody is to be poor, the more likely they are to be isolated. Um, and those things are particularly compounded for women because they're set up that way.
2: Let's talk a little bit about women and income. So for many years, um, women contributed to the household on a part-time basis or had maybe entered the workforce, but they you know, were definitely lower paid at that time. And they live longer. So this sets them up for isolation. What are some of the things that can be done for these types of situations with women?
0: I think what's really important, and I I actually have done a bit of work in this area, and I think that our community-based organizations are are very much aware of this, and I I do see government at all three levels responding to it, actually. It is really important that we have neighborhood-level supports for people in general, but particularly for seniors. We need to really leverage the work that our community-based organizations are doing because they're in the neighborhoods, they're dealing with the populations, they're, they have an ability to be flexible, to, uh, to move and to meet and to respond to needs kind of in the moment. And the more we support those kind of ground level or neighborhood level movements, the more likely we are to support our seniors, youth, people who are experiencing any kind of barrier or, or gap in the broader system.
2: Is it true, too, that um, more seniors are diverse in terms of their culture and, and backgrounds Absolutely. here in Canada? So what kinds of things are being done to engage people who, may, who maybe didn't have English as a first language or um, maybe don't even speak English now?
0: Not enough. There are certainly some organizations, so for example with SAGE we have a Multicultural Seniors Outreach Program. Uh, We work with the uh, Multicultural Health Brokers who are in community and they are reaching out to isolated seniors, they're supporting them. Um, We provide a link to our services and to other services. One of our programs we do in partnership actually with them and Gateway Association, we have an employment brokering program for immigrant and refugee seniors who are needing to work. But the the barriers that that population faces is deeply, deeply systemic. There are policy barriers related to whether or not they can gain status, whether or not when they can gain status, how they can gain status, what that status is, and, and how... The level of status that they have directly impacts their access to supports, to benefits. Our immigrant and refugee senior population is the most vulnerable population that we have in terms of seniors because they have, just like with anything else, right, whenever you have a barrier, okay, you have a barrier, but let's let's give you two barriers. No, you have three, and these things start to intersect, and they start to compound, and you butt up against the system time and time again, and it puts you at increasing risk. There are a number of programs throughout the city to support immigrant and refugee seniors. It's not enough, and it's not hitting policy where it needs to hit.
2: So that's interesting that um, that our systems are set up to cause some issues there. What kinds of things can individuals do or families
0: do to help these folks? You know, I think it really does come back to always that neighborhood connection, right? That um to, to be fully where we are and to be fully with the people we're around. Edmonton is full of organizations that are working with other other organizations, specific groups, broad-based groups, you know, the, where the community level is connecting to the, the municipal level, and the municipal level is connecting to the provincial letter level, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So as an individual, our entry point is always the community. And that's the place to get involved and to stay. One of the programs that we have at SAGE is a community development program. And we have community animators who work in neighborhoods with different seniors to get them to think about how they can be involved in their communities and impact their communities. And some of the stuff that's come out of those programs, just creating a welcoming space for people to think about how they might engage with each other, how they might support one another or identify issues that they have in their neighborhoods and and impact that positively. It's been amazing and wide ranging. And it it really does come down to supporting our community-based organizations so that they can continue to do that work that they're already doing. People who are working with marginalized or or populations that are at risk, they know how to help. They need the support to be able to do it.
2: Let's talk a little bit about what seniors can do, which is um, one of the things that they're well known for is volunteering, but one Mm -hmm. of the things that we found when we did some research is that only about 50% are volunteering, but those who do are uber-volunteers. So Mm -hmm. um, is that something that could engage a lot more people and keep them active?
0: Yes, but it's it's not an uncomplicated situation, right? Seniors who aren't volunteering aren't necessarily aren't volunteering because it hasn't occurred to them or they haven't found the right opportunity. A lot of seniors are not able to step into that space because they're facing day-to-day barriers, right? Like somebody who's 50% or more of their income is dedicated to housing. Now they have to think about transportation, medication, food, all of that other kind of stuff. The last thing they're going to be thinking about Is volunteering. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm generalizing. There's a lot of people um, who are able to do all of those things and for whom volunteerism is fundamental to their character. But to speak in broad strokes, people who aren't volunteering when they have the time to volunteer might be facing some barriers to that. And some of that might
2: be isolation. And some of the statistics around isolation is that uh, poor health or general mental health also is an issue. Disabilities, financial,
0: And sometimes they just don't feel safe. Right. And I think, again, you know, there's a lot of talk lately about social isolation and loneliness, particularly when it comes to seniors. And I think it's an important conversation to have. But I I really do think that, again, that's just grabbing onto part of the picture. Right. Right. So we say, okay, you're isolated. We need to get you involved. We know that when seniors volunteer, they, they volunteer more than anybody else. Why? Because it gives them a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging. There's some structure that comes back into their life that maybe they lost when their families moved away or um, their children grew up or they retired or whatever the case may be. So if you could just volunteer, now we've got a fix for your problem. Or if you start a book club or whatever the case may be. What we're finding when we do outreach into communities to reach out to seniors who are isolated, they're isolated because they have complex needs that are not being met. So it's important that we have that conversation, but that the conversation be around what are those complex needs? How can we begin to meet those needs and support seniors so that they can decide whether or not they want to engage in volunteerism, whether or not they want to start a book club? or. Another thing we hear a lot of talk about along that vein is related to intergenerational interactions and that kind of thing. You know, if we put a, a daycare in a senior's home, now everybody's going to be happy and it's going to be great. Well, that sounds really good, and it's certainly one one thing that we can pursue and look into. A lot of seniors aren't really interested in being around children all the time, right? If you're somebody, particularly somebody who's of an advanced age, say 85 or 90 or 95 plus, having kids around can be stressful. They're loud. They're fast. They don't have any sense of maybe your need for personal space. You know, it's a good idea. It's not going to be for everybody. And, and that's
2: the thing we need to keep in mind is that they're individuals. They're not one person that you're serving
0: a need for. Ex- yeah, they're individuals. And in that when we talk about seniors, we tend to think, you know, one thing. We talk about isolation. We tend to think of one solution. We tend to use these terms with very broad-based strokes, and what gets lost is the complexity.
2: And I think that's something that's probably coming through more and more is the diversity, the complexity, the intersectionality of what's happening with every cohort, but it's compounded when you're a senior, your incomes are affected, you're living longer than you maybe even expected to yourself, Um, so all those things are happening. But I want to throw one more piece of kindling on the fire. Let's talk about elder abuse. How prevalent is that here in in the city, and what are some of the things that you're seeing?
0: The thing with elder abuse is that it is like any other kind of abuse in that it is the violation of a power relationship or a trust relationship. How it can be different is in the ways in which it can manifest. So, for example, financial abuse tends to be more of a concern when we're talking about elder abuse and when we're talking about other kinds of family violence. It doesn't always have to be a family member who is uh, the abuser, right? Um, Sometimes it's adult children. It also impacts men. It impacts couples. So, for example, at our safe house, Sage runs a safe house. We have independent living suites, and we have suites that can accommodate couples because it happens where it's not just one person. It can involve medication or prescription abuse. It can, can involve neglect. And I think it's impacting seniors in Edmonton the same way that it's impacting seniors everywhere. And again, I guess this kind of goes back to that isolation piece, right? The more somebody is isolated, the more likely they are to be vulnerable to elder abuse. Ageism plays a huge role in elder abuse because we have this idea that somehow as people age they become more childlike and they're more vulnerable and they're easier to take advantage of they're, they're more easily dismissed and just like any other ism ageism is deeply systemic so if you go to for example you go to a doctor's appointment with your mother who might be 85 years old the doctor's more likely to speak to you than she is to speak to your mother. That's a problem because that dismisses the person. And that's just one example. When we say that happen over and over and over again, anytime somebody is dismissed or made to seem lesser than or not as valuable as somebody else who's sitting in the room, you're exposing them to potential systemic violence, which can feed into family violence.
2: Right now, I think a lot of people are dealing with aging parents. And the example you gave you know, is, is I think, pretty typical with a lot of families in that because our baby boomer cohort is so large and they're now, and people are living longer, there's a large group of people who are dealing with families and parents. And there is a trend too, to, to um, not have your mother or father live with you like they used to maybe 50 years ago. Is there any good news out there? There's, what, what's happening now that's maybe good news for seniors?
0: Well, two things. I think first of all, your aging mother might not want to live with you. She probably wants to be independent and live on her own and decide where and how she lives. Just like having adult children move back in with you can be an awkward and weird kind of thing, having a parent move in with you can also be a weird and awkward thing. Secondly, what's happening with the baby boomers, they're, they're changing retirement the same way they've changed every institution that they've gone through. So um, you have a lot of uh, seniors who are organizing or or older adults, so even, you know, people in their, their 40s and 50s are starting to think about really interesting ways of organizing their living. A lot of it is communal based, a lot of shared living, a lot of interdependent living, not independent living or co-location with other people, but actually forming groups where they're relying on one another and they're caring for one another and they're really looking at bringing back that deep sense of shared community and shared responsibility, which is a really, really exciting thing. And that's kind of manifesting in a number of movements across the world actually, but we're not there yet necessarily, right? So we're still looking at um, a lack of affordable housing in Edmonton in particular. We're looking at housing that's not really appropriate or doesn't meet the needs of the people who are seeking that housing for example, something you might not think of, it's really difficult to find affordable housing where you can have a pet. And a lot of seniors won't move unless they can take their pet.
2: I understand that completely.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. So that's a barrier. And when you think about people who are living in isolation, maybe that, that pet has been a lifesaver for them. They have a deep, deep bond with that pet. And you say to those people, well, you can either move and have more of your income, dedicated to other things other than housing, or you can stay with this pet that you really deeply love. You know, it's an There's actual, no it's, a, it's a legitimate thing that people have to struggle with.
2: Earlier this year, we had Alberta Helping Animal Society, and and that is one of the areas that they help out with, is um, helping with vet care and and costs for, for not just seniors, but any low-income individual who right. needs that pet to help. Keep them going. Yeah, so, absolutely, uh, it is a real serious thing. Um, anything you want to add about this snapshot of senior women?
0: I think the 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 one thing, and again, I don't want to kind of go really broad or, or or overgeneralize, but you know, we hear a lot about how seniors built this community. Seniors built this community. When we talk about seniors, we tend to talk about them in the past tense, and seniors are still contributing. They're still building. They're so important to our communities, to our organizations, to our families, to our culture. And that is actually a form of ageism in itself. When we speak of people and what they have done as though they've expired, it really is problematic. You know, I always think of the tw- uh, 20 by 25. So we're gonna, 20% of our population is going to be over the age of 65 by 2025. That's a significant portion of the population. If you're going to dismiss that group of people offhand, you do not have a healthy community. And we've made some strides in this area. We have a long way to go. And the first step we have to take is really to turn that snapshot or that picture into a puzzle and take the pieces apart, see them for what they are, and put them back together in a much more healthy, functioning way. I'd also like to add one more thing that we are embodied. We're always embodied, and we engage with a system throughout our lives that is sexist, racist, and classist. It just is, that's how it's set up. So we have barriers that we experience um, as we move through our lives, and as we age, that's compounded by the last-ism, which is ageism. So you you carry that your interaction with the system forward with you, and the more barriers you have at your age, the more those are likely to be exacerbated as you age. Thanks for being with her. Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks so much to Nicole Smith for speaking with us today. If you'd like to find out more about Sage Seniors Association, check out mysage.ca. And if you'd like to read our vital topic on senior women in Edmonton, you can find it at ecfoundation.org. As always, we'll be sure to put the links in our show notes. What's next?
1: As you know, we often like to share stories from our amazing donors who contribute so much to Edmonton's community. We are pleased to introduce you to our very own CEO, Martin Garber Conrad, who suggests that when it comes to giving, it's okay to follow your passion.
3: Hi, my name is Martin Garber Conrad. I have the pleasure of working with Edmonton Community Foundation. And as a result of that, I have this special opportunity to greet you all and give you good wishes for the holiday season. Here at ECF, we are particularly active during the giving season, these last couple of months of the year, when people are thinking about giving and or thinking about perhaps lining up for some tax benefits that comes with charitable giving before year end. But probably the best reason I know for giving is to support causes and organizations that are important to you. And more than just important, but I would invite you to think in terms of your passions, things that really excite you in the community, opportunities that have meaning for you, or causes and challenges that you know about in the community that could use assistance. So it's not just about needs and problems and challenges, it's also about the exciting opportunities to build our community. If as one of the options you want to consider forgiving, we are experts in helping you build a legacy for the future. And so if in addition to whatever you're aware of by way of immediate needs or opportunities, you also want to think about the long-term, come and talk to us. We have nothing to sell, but we have a lot of knowledge about what's going on in the community, and we have some really exciting ways that we can help you increase the value and impact of your giving. So just to make this a bit more concrete, let me tell you about one of the funds that I started at ECF. It's an endowment fund. So I've contributed money, which becomes the capital of the fund, and then each year, distributions are made from the earnings of that fund. It's not the only fund I've started here, but it's, it's one of the most fun. A few years ago, my partner, who had a young child at the time, challenged me to teach this young boy about philanthropy, about giving, about contributing to the community. The last thing I wanted to do was to lecture a six-year-old about the importance of giving. So what I did instead was I started a fund in his name. And the next year, his mother got a report on how much his fund had to distribute and sat down with the boy and asked him what he'd like to do to help others. And that particular year, he had a real passion for soccer. So his fund contributed half a dozen soccer balls to a small community in Central Africa. The next year he had read about water issues around the world and we ran across an opportunity to dig a well for a community that didn't have access to water and that really excited him and he looked at the amount that a well cost And he looked at the amount his fund had to distribute, and it wasn't quite enough. So he talked to his grandma and said, instead of, or maybe he said, in addition to my Christmas gift this year, how about you top up my fund so that we can dig a well in this community? And so that's what his fund did that year. The third year, his mother had been working on a community development project right here in Edmonton. And he remembered all the times when she had rushed home to make him supper and decided that what his fund would do this year was contribute to the project that his mom had spent so much time on. So every year he has the experience of giving to his community and it's made possible through the fund that has his name on it and the fund to which, although I made the initial contribution, his grandma and other family members have also contributed to it for birthdays and other holidays. And we suspect that as he starts earning his own money, he'll be contributing to it, too. It's a fund that, because it was started when he was so young, will keep on giving his entire life. and will in due course be giving out significant amounts in his community and will be an opportunity for him to participate directly in making things better, whether it's here in Edmonton or around the world. Lots of people, more than a thousand people, have set up funds here at the Community Foundation as a way to give and keep on giving for the very long term for causes and passions that mean a great deal to them. It's an opportunity that's open to almost anybody and would be a really neat thing to consider during this holiday season. So thanks for all you do in our community and thanks for this opportunity to chat with you. Happy holiday.
2: Thanks to Martin for sharing the story about the fund he created for his partner's son. If you're curious about creating a fund of your own, head on over to ecfoundation.org for more information and to contact our donor services team.
1: Before we close out the show, we just want to take a moment to recognize all of the hard work that the Alberta Podcast Network has been doing. So, Elizabeth, we've been an affiliate member of APN for, what, going on two years now. And it's been really interesting to see how much the network has actually uh, grown. I think there are more than 30 shows uh, under the APN banner. And one of the things that I really like about the way that the shows are curated by Karen Onlin, the president of APN, uh, is that the lineup of shows are starting to very much reflect the sort of disappearing beats of your traditional uh, press. So, you know, there used to be reporters that say the daily papers that would just focus on covering City Hall because the decisions being made at City Hall are important and the information that comes out of there is information that we all need to sort of live informed day-to-day lives uh, in the city here. So looking at APN's lineup, they have, you know, shows like Municipally Speaking that just focuses on covering City Hall, which is a great service that has been, you know, on the decline in the traditional sense for for many years now. And also you can get your fix of, you know, what's going on in Bollywood and sports and, you know, almost everything except for the weather. I'm not sure if there's a weather forecast or a podcast in there yet. Major kudos to APN and all of our friends over there producing shows. Keep up the good work, and we're really looking forward to 2019 uh, creating stories with y'all.
2: Thanks, Andrew, for a great synopsis on the Alberta Podcast Network. I appreciate the fact that it sort of reflects who we are in Alberta and who we are here in Edmonton. If you want to find out more about the Alberta Podcast Network, you can find it on the CKUA radio app, or we'll have a link to it in our show notes. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks to all of our guests for sharing their time with us.
1: And thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it.
2: And if you did, please share this episode with your friends and leave us a review on iTunes.
1: Leaving a review is a big help and we always appreciate your feedback.
2: Thanks for hanging out with us. We've been your hosts, Elizabeth Bonking
1: and Andrew Paul. Happy Holidays!